Hi there, it's Gareth here. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to my brand new podcast called The Thinking Biker. Thanks so much for listening in and welcome to this episode. Hi there, it's Gareth here again. Welcome to this episode of my brand new podcast, The Thinking Biker. It's the fifth episode that I've recorded and I'm really pleased to let you know that we have had so far over 160 downloads from across the world. And looking at my dashboard, it's showing that I am popular or that the podcast is popular at least in the United Kingdom, in the US, in India, in Spain, in Cambodia still, and in other parts of the world as well, including the Netherlands and other regions. As the numbers get smaller in each country, then I can't actually see which country is um, listening in. But um, thank you to every single person uh, who listens to my podcast. I am really um, delighted and appreciate you spending your time in listening to me talking about the things that I uh, talk about. <clears throat> so, a funny thing happened to me around well a few week, few days ago. Um, I was this weekend. Uh, I went away uh, with my wife and my daughters uh, for a weekend in Spain. It was a belated. Um, holiday to uh, to Spain to celebrate my youngest daughter's 21st birthday uh, which happened in lockdown but um, we had to defer the holiday from then and we could only get it in to now but right in the middle of my holiday I received an email just out of the blue from a podcasting service who gave me the amazing news that I was fifth most popular podcast in the business category of for podcasts in Spain <laughs> fifth most popular business podcast in Spain and you know I was delighted with that obviously um, and let's just see if I can improve and move up those charts in in Spain in particular but across the world so let's move on then let's get into this week's topic area and obviously this week my mind <clears throat> and everybody's minds well a lot of people's minds in the UK has been focused on the sad uh, passing of Her Majesty the Queen um, it, uh, it really did um, surprise us when we were in Spain when that happened and it is a terribly sad thing to happen um, and it must be very very difficult for her family to go through that process in 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 a such a public way um, I know that when I went through the experiences that they are experiencing all I wanted to do was to hide away and get away from things so it must be terribly diff terribly terribly difficult for them and my heart goes out to them and uh obviously you know it's a it's a 
um, it's a privilege to to pay respects to uh, Her Majesty, who I, I saw as an incredible servant of her public, a selfless lady who had incredible integrity and um, really was a, a, if you like, a gift to the world, I think. So um, I won't dwell on that. There's enough commentary being made about that, um, but I didn't want to pass this moment by not uh, mentioning that and, and paying respect to Her Majesty. Okay, so let's move on to this week's episode, and I'm going to uh, talk about, as I mentioned last week, a story uh, that happened to me, um, a story of, a, of something that happened to me when I was out on my motorbike. So it was August 2021, around about two years ago, um, from from now when I was riding back from Manchester um, which is for those who don't know it it's a major city in the northwest of England and I was riding back in the heavy slash torrential downpour of the rain on the M56 motorway here in northwest England and if you've ever done that journey, or if you've ever done a journey on a motorbike, um, when you're getting wet, I've got all of the kind of gear to stop me getting wet, but rain always kind of seeps through, and that experience can be a pretty soddy one, should we say. So, you know, you really have to grin and bear it with, you know, rain beating into your visor at 70 miles per hour. And you have to kind of grin and get through that. But I was smiling at the time because uh, for the last, well, the previous two years, I'd been rise, riding an amazing motorcycle, and it was the incredible BMW 800 GS adventure bike. And the BMW salesman who had sold it to me from BMW Williams in Manchester, who had sold me that 800 bike, said to me, you know, people travelled the world on these. And I could believe it when I first saw the bike. I thought to myself, yes, definitely, because it was just an amazing motorcycle. But now, after two years of owning that bike, I'd travelled over 8,000 miles in those two years. I'd, I'd been out commuting on it. I'd been out on Sunday rides with Charlotte, my my wife. I'd been out on evening cafe trips with my friend Stuart, who we often say to each other that motorcycling really is just one way of travelling from coffee shop to coffee shop. Um, and I'd had an un unforgettable 1,800 mile experience of riding on holiday with Stuart to Normandy in France. And this was all obviously before the Covid uh, lockdown. And that 800cc BMW bike had never missed a beat. It never let me down. Every ride was a mini adventure and a mini learning and a, and a lesson in life. But now, after the two years that I'd had it, the time had come 
to move on from the bike and in my kind of way that I do this I do a lot of research about what to get next if I'm going to change anything really and I'd set my set my eyes on a bike called the the GS1250 adventure bike another BMW it had an incredible reputation and it had it, it was widely it was widely regarded as one of the best adventure bikes in the world by adventure it means basically a bike that <laughs> for the most part guys like me who kind of like the most adventurous thing they do is get on it and ride down a motorway or down a an a road or a b road never go off road of course but um it was an incredible bike had a great reputation and uh, for anybody who watched any of the tv series the long way round um uh, with ewan mcgregor in then this was the bike that started that kind of whole skyrocket of interest in adventure motorcycles and the, the gs was was the one that started that so when i first saw this gs 1250 motorbike i had the same feeling as i had had f two years ago when i first saw the 800 it was bike club at first sight now bikes do that to me um I just loved the beauty and the design, the lines, the colour and the proportions. Um, but for this bike, they're incredible. What a machine. The 1250 designers have done just a wonderful job of designing this bike. And the next step in, in buying a used bike isn't really about the bike at all. It's about profiling the owner or the previous owner of the bike. And David from BMW Manchester had called me as soon as the bike came in because they knew that I was looking for one and the bike had been part exed in or part exchanged in by its previous owner and David said you know he, the previous owner really looks after his bike's Gareth he said he kept it in his garage every night he only rode it occasionally and changed changed them changed his bikes every single year now this was music to my ears because this was exactly what I wanted it only had 1400 miles on it, it had one owner, it was immaculate, it's grey and red, it's stunning and he told me I'd better get down to that showroom quick because it's going to go fast. So literally within an hour of getting that message I was down at the dealer and giving you know, a virtual kind of Covid compliant elbow touchy handshake thing to David. and saying you know that was the one for me and the he said to me that the bike would be ready in a week and i would be riding what would some would say as i've mentioned earlier the best adventure bike in the world that is a matter of opinion of course but yes it's just an incredible bike i couldn't believe it really so here i was on the rain soaked m56 motorway and i was pulling off at the warrington junction and I was figuring out in that kind of rain-soaked mess how was I going to explain to Charlotte that I was going to need a bike change when I had bored her to death pretty much every day of my riding adventures about how great my 800 had been. And, you know, she, I knew she was going to say to me, if that's so perfect, why do you need to change it? So I knew that I had... A bit more work to do when I got home that night <clears throat> but at junction 
an 11 of the M56 I was turning off and just to give you an idea of this Junction 11 is a roundabout and it's the intersection between the A50, the M56 and the A49 it's basically a crossroads with a roundabout above the motorway on it and as roundabouts go it's normal enough but it's a pretty heavily used intersection and on the south side you have actually two A roads at first and second turnings as you arrive at it from Manchester and then on the other side on the side that goes to um, to Warrington on the north side there is a single A road which was the direction that I was heading in so there's nothing unusual really you know at this roundabout um, the rain had lightened a little bit there was light traffic it was kind of getting a little bit um, dusky I would say and as I as I always do, I breathed in heavily as I got to the roundabout because that's the way that you can detect or sense diesel on the road because diesel on the road, on a wet surface and a motorbike on top of it, you know, that's kind of three points of disaster about to happen if you don't really take it extremely carefully. So I took a big, big breath in to smell if there was any diesel, everything was okay to me. so. Nothing really to trouble me, I thought. So it was steady and careful braking. I checked my mirrors to make sure nobody was was still doing any kind of crazy motorway speeds behind me as I got to this roundabout. And then I moved into the outside lane of the roundabout itself and I gently leant over to my right-hand side and glided over to the right, leaning over a little bit. The... 800 as it was at that point in time stuck to the curve beautifully um, I put a little bit of gentle speed into the uh, into the accelerator a little bit of g-force resulted and I was leaning over a little bit and you know all the sights and the sounds of that roundabout and dusk reminded me of what a great bike I was riding at the time and I needed to go home and say to Charlotte, look, this one's going and I'm going to get this new one. So there I was riding around and this roundabout. And my, so my ride home so far had been pretty wet, but un uneventful. But all of that was about to change. As I rounded the roundabout and my vision opened up, I saw it. I saw another bike parked at the exit from the A49 on the south side it was in an awkward position not one that you would choose if you had planned to stop there it was too close to the roundabout it didn't look right at all and then I saw the biker and they were standing and yet leaning across the bike again awkwardly it looked to me in that kind of fraction of a split second as if they were using the bike as a support and they were still they were leaning over they were looking down and not really aware of much that was around them but it just felt weird it felt strange 
so my approaching bike seemed to sort of spark them out of their lost gaze and look up at me it must have been the sound of my exhaust and in that split second I looked into their eyes and they looked into my eyes and in that very moment I knew that they didn't look right something was wrong now the human brain has an incredible ability to process vast amounts of data in a fraction of a second and make neural connections to help us reach a decision in an instant and it's in the amygdala that that we do this it's it's called our um our reptile brain in fact because it's the fight fight or flight um response that we have and we've had this for thousands of years so in those few milliseconds i was able to kind of sense that something wasn't right <clears throat> but i didn't have a lot of time to decide what to do the decision was either to stop and see what was going on or head back home to explain the, the 1250 purchase to charlotte but when a biker is down you have to make sure that they are okay when a biker is stopped you have to make sure they are okay this is the biker's code and it's something that i learned way back when i was 16 off my older brother keith and you know the code is if there's something wrong with a biker we stop so my explanation to charlotte would have to wait a little bit longer because you know i need to go back and you know perhaps inside of me I was just trying to put that conversation off a little bit but I said to myself I need to go back and as I I passed my turning on the A49 north I doubled back on myself and headed back back south so once more around the roundabout I realized that actually getting to the bike was going to be a bit trickier than I thought and so I went back down the A49 around about half a mile um, and then I turned, uh, did a U-turn, and I turned from, turned around, and I came down in the in the direction that they must have come come from. And so this was actually the second time that they saw me. They saw me the first time in the glance, and the second time me me going back uh, in that direction. So their look was quite forlorn as I rode past, but. I did turn back I did have second thoughts about whether to do this or not because it was an awkward thing to do but I thought I need to go and check now I then noticed as I rode back my sec second time they'd gone from leaning over and resting on the bike to now standing up a little bit more upright as if to try to telegraph to me that they were all okay but it was too late now to not stop and I was now just a few seconds from them so I came back down I, I pulled up and as I got there they were now fully stood upright and away from their bike they're no longer they were no longer using their bike as a as a rest they were standing in their own own uh, in their own kind of position or of strength so I gently slowed down and stopped and I just gently flicked my hazard lights on um, and here it was here was the moment that I was about to speak to a complete stranger 
in a slightly awkward way and so I flicked my visor up and I said are you okay mate and my loud my voice was loud enough to be heard above the noise of the busy roundabout but it was soft enough to show my compassion to them and they replied yeah I'm fine I looked at them and I thought to myself they don't look fine they look anything but fine in fact they looked unhappy upset looked a little bit kind of twisted in in discomfort not quite standing up straight and I just thought to myself this isn't right no this definitely isn't right at all but it would have been easy to leave it there they didn't know me I didn't know them my biker's code that my brother had taught me had been delivered I could get off I could get on my bike I could ride off conscious clear it was easy you know I, I, I was you know I, kn I knew I had a job to do and it was to go and explain to Charlotte about the new 1250 that was landing next week so I was just about to ride off and say a friendly ah okay but that expression yeah I'm fine it triggered a memory inside of me and it took me back to a short video that I had watched a few weeks ago that was produced by a charity called the Zero Suicide Alliance and I'd actually been introduced that through a, uh, a, a training event uh, at, uh, at work and the video that I'd watched taught me that it's not the first yeah I'm fine that is the one that provides true insight to a person's situation you see the first yeah I'm fine is a bit of a mask isn't it we all do it how many times when we are asked how we are do we say yeah I'm fine when really truly we're anything but fine we just don't say it to people I know I've done this a lot so as the training in that Zero Suicide Alliance uh, video had said the thing to do is ask a second time and this time I thought okay I'll unbuckle I'll slip off my helmet so they could see more of me than through that slot of my helmet they could see it was a friendly face and I just said to them I know you said you were fine but are you really okay are you really fine a little bit more emphasis on the word really and there was a pause and then they said to me actually no I'm not fine would you would you mind staying with me for a minute of course I don't mind I got off my bike 
Then they said, I'm really embarrassed, but just as I came around that bend to the roundabout, it all came up a bit too fast. I panicked and I felt the car behind me was too close. In a bit of a panic, I grabbed my front brake. The front end fell away and I fell off. When I saw you come around the roundabout, I had only just picked myself up and got to the side of the road. I saw you look at me, but I was trying not to let you know that I'd come off because I felt really embarrassed. Oh, it's okay, I said. Let's just check you out then. I got off my bike and I just asked, have you hurt yourself? I'm honestly okay, but would you mind staying with me for just a few minutes, please? I don't want to take up your time though. Of course I'll wait for as long as you like. I'm not going anywhere, I said. And so for the next 20 minutes or so, we checked their bike over. I made sure, doubly sure that they hadn't hurt themselves. We got them off to a safer place at the side of the road and we called their partner. And striking up my friendship with them, I shared my story of my new bike. And we even jokingly practiced my rehearsal for what I was going to say to Charlotte about my latest purchase. <laughs> Running off, Stephen smiled and shouted to me, take care mate. And watching, him watching him wave at me in, the, in my left mirror as I swept off around the roundabout and back home. I thought to myself, there wasn't so much that I knew about Stephen. I didn't know his surname. I didn't know his job. I didn't know his age. I didn't know if he was married. I know that we'd called his partner. I didn't even know where he lived, lived but the, the truth was I didn't need to know any of these details. The important thing had been done. Just asking him how he was, but a second time. It was the second question, are you okay? That did it, that had got to it. The zero suicide awareness training that says all that, all that you need to do is ask twice. When someone doesn't look right, when they have a look of distress or simply don't look, look right, the thing to ask to do is to ask, are they okay? But ask that second time. The first answer is often the facade. As we all know, I've done this and I'm pretty sure most of us have as well. The second answer is often the truth. And this is what it takes to get there. This is all it takes to wait for that second chance to ask that question. Now, the next time that I glanced at a spot, that spot on the roundabout, I was on my gleaming GS1250, turning off the motorway. I thought of Stephen and the lesson that the experience had taught me. Sometimes all it takes is a glance and we can pick up on the tiniest of calls for help. The I'm fine reply, it must be said a thousands of times a day around the world. Yet when someone asks, the reply is often a facade response, as I would call it. 
maybe it's because we ask the question so often it's become almost not a question at all it's become a facade a phrase alongside other phrases such as have a nice day which have just sort of melded into our our language but it's the second time of asking that we need to get to it yes it does take a little more time and effort yes we need to put our own lives on pause for a moment but it really is worth it and you never know asking twice may help one person or maybe even save one person so you can watch the zero suicide alliance video it's on just like i did it's on www.zerosuicidealliance.com it's only a short video it really is worth it and it will give you some guidance uh, that really did pay dividends for me on that rain rain soaked evening um, back a couple of years ago and uh, I hope that is a helpful story to you and please do share it with others if you can because you know it's all about helping each other isn't it in this world and that is the end of my podcast for this week I hope that isn't too somber um, I hope it is a story of um, of of I don't know inspiration or of hope really more than inspiration but please do uh, please do uh, try to use what I've shared there if that situation ever arises for you so I'll sign off now I've talked for 30 minutes already and I will sign off and I'll speak again next week thank you very much for listening into my podcast I truly appreciate it and I hope that the the learnings and the stories and the experiences and the lessons that I share are helpful for for you my one hope is that these podcasts do help others and uh, help you and and help others as well so I'll sign off now and uh, thank you for listening in and I'll see you speak to you again next week thank you